So welcome to the Project Plenty podcast series, where we ask the question, what will 2030 look like? Now we'll ask that question across a range of topics important to Queensland and to our church. It's a series of conversations that will help us enter into a whole of church discernment and planning exercise that we hope might give shape to our life in the next decade. Over the course of this series, we'll invite our guests to reflect on this question, what 2030 looks like from their perspective, and ask what role the Uniting Church could play as this future approaches. My name's Scott Guyatt, and I'm glad that you can join us. So joining me today, Reverend Kay Ronalds. Uh, Kay is part of the community, or the minister, in fact, at Granite Belt Uniting Churches. Kay, thanks for the kind of hanging out for a chat today. My pleasure. Um, I'm really interested to kind of hear a little bit about Stanthorpe, about what's been going on. We know that, you know, Stanthorpe and those towns around, we know as the Granite Belt, a couple of hours west of Brisbane, you know, right in that southern part of Queensland, coldest part of Queensland. But it's been through quite a tumultuous time, hasn't it, over the last couple of years. You know, we hear on the news about running out of water, we hear fires and, you know, all sorts of things. Can you give me a little bit of a sense of, you know, what, what has been going on around Stanthorpe? Um, over that period of time. Well, thanks, Scott, for helping us tell our story. It has been a remarkable time to be the minister Mm. in a local congregation. Our uh, most recent thing is that the drought has uh, been biting hard into rural life. And we're a community that has an interesting mixture of tourism and primary producers. And then that little bit of tertiary sector, hospitals, schools and uh, just an, a nice little main street with some shops, yeah. So am I, am I right in understanding that, that, that the town has actually been trucking water in because the local water supplies have just all but completely dried up? Yes, that's um, right. Since about the middle of January, okay. we've been on uh, water restrictions for uh, quite a long time yeah. in the town water. Yeah. The actual reservoir for the town is not that big it's called storm king dam and you can walk across it now so uh it's basically i read somewhere that they call it storm king dam because one storm will fill it that's about uh, right because it's of that sort of size but it needs to fall in the right place right on top of it yeah yeah. and it actually needs to fall in girouine national park and then it runs back into the dam and because we've been in drought conditions for a a few years now Mm. The um, ground is very dry, yeah. and so it takes a while to replenish the yes. the soil. So yeah, then yeah. it will run off. Yeah. It doesn't just Straight automatically away. fill yeah. the dam. Yeah. We've actually had some rain since yeah. the beginning of January. We've had more than twice as much as we had for the whole of last wow. year. And that, I mean, what that tells me is you didn't have much last year. We didn't have much yeah. last year or the year before. Yeah. And it's a district where people just expect that rain will come about once a month or yeah, you yeah. know a f- few nights in the month and top up the dams top yeah, up yeah. the house tanks yeah. and it's been a, a fairly consistent not wet area yeah. uh, we do have a, a drier winter and yeah. they expect a bit of wet weather through yeah. the summer yeah. but it's not an area that has long periods of mm. dry spells mm. So, so it's not no, kind of built for that? Not yeah. exactly. We don't have yeah. the facilities. The, the people on small rural holdings don't have that many dams yeah. and they don't have really, really big tank yeah. capacity. Yeah. So our early engagement with the community, which was really at the end of 2018, yeah. was we heard that there were a number of families who had a small rural property. Maybe they were... Um, once upon a time small orchards but they're not anymore or they've been broken up 
So they may have had a few alpacas and uh, yeah, okay. um, yep. uh, a few chickens and maybe a few geese and yeah, a real mixed sort and, of and a couple of horses a lovely rural block and mm. you'd bring your family up on that mm. but they really didn't have the water holding capacity so yeah. they needed to replenish their tanks and so we were fortunate that we got some funding about five thousand dollars from the queensland synod disaster relief fund okay and we were an early responder to an emerging need yeah. and we were able to um, say to families, look, if you need your tank refilled, uh, we'll um, just fill it. Yeah, okay. So no no was, questions yeah. asked. So you we were don't buying water and uh, yeah, that's the church in action. Don't have to do a means test or an assets <laughs> test. We'll just fill your tank. So for a while there we had uh, phone calls from people who talked at playgroup yeah. and um, we, it was a delightful thing yeah, to be able yeah. to say, yes, tell us yeah. your address and yeah. um, give me your phone number and we'll get the water carrier to make contact. Yeah. And this, we go. this tank of water is on us. Yeah. So that was fantastic. That's um living water kind of you know that all comes to mind doesn't it those it some does. of those metaphors it yeah. does and what's more basic about maintaining life than yeah. having water yeah of course we're really conscious too that in some parts of the world um they'd love to have a problem where they've got capacity to just ring someone up yes. and say can you fill our tank yeah. and it's clean water yeah. and it's yeah. um available so there is that that always in the back of your mind thinking we've got a water problem but compared to some parts yeah, of the world it's it's not nearly of the same so it's relative yes yeah. it is relative yeah mm. what, what's been the impact on kind of the feel of the community you know over that sort of sustained period of dryness and then you know with with the nature of having to kind of truck water into the town and those sorts of things and then you had fires as well yeah yes it was a complicated year last year yeah. So we were the early responders sort of saying, we can help you with yep. a tank of water. Yep. And then what happened was other charities uh, got some government funding. Okay. CWA got yep. some money. The Salvation Army were a group that distributed the money that was given to the Southern Downs Regional Council. So some of those other charities then yeah, came yeah. on board. And then there was a, a kind of a water charity established, okay. which got benefits from and, and businesses from all over the place who helped. So we kind of laid that aside and said other people are doing that. Yeah. As the uh, just uh, for a moment, I'm I'm having this vision of the CWA arriving with a plate of scones and a truckload of water. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> a beautiful image. What a wonderful what a wonderful group of people. They are a wonderful yeah. group of people, and they're very connected. And they part of their desire was to make sure that people got what they needed mm. fairly quickly. Yep. So they did it by saying send us your registration bill for your car oh, okay. or your uh, uh, electricity yeah, bill, yeah. perhaps not for a whole farm, but maybe yeah. maybe yeah. for a little rural household. Yeah, yeah. And they were able to help up to $3,000. Okay. And, you know, once the, the money was being used up, they would say, well, we've already helped this household. Yeah. We yeah. won't help them yeah. again. Yeah. Very fair, yeah, very yeah. down to earth, yeah. very grounded. And, and really real. Mm, that's real practical very practical help, stuff yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, there were people who just that gave them the hope so you yeah. asked what was the impact yeah. last year was a complicated year because mm. it, it felt like the community spirit was gradually eroding away yeah. and while many congregations and many communities will say well we're we're strong we're able yeah. we've faced these challenges before we'll stand up and we'll yeah. do our best 
there was a real sense that yeah. it was ebbing away and yeah. feel, feeling out of control. Yeah. Fairly early on, I had a good yarn with Reverend Jenny Coombs, who's yeah. been the minister at Longreach yeah. for a number of years. So they have... They've lived through some lived of similar kinds of experiences, Exactly. They? Yeah. And they also got involved with the community work of meeting the yeah. practical needs and mm. the, the psychological and spiritual well-being needs yeah. of the whole community. So it was really useful to have a talk with yeah, someone yeah. who's been through this yeah. as a ministry agent. The, um, and, and then a number of things happened. So there was certainly a diminished rain and people were making big decisions. So mm. sheep farmers were destocking. Yeah. The ones who chose to continue to feed found that feed was increasingly uh, costly. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got the cost of getting that to the farm gate. Yeah. I think that was the only thing that actually got a bit of a subsidy was the transport okay. of the yeah. fodder. Yeah. Um, if you were buying uh, cotton seed for your animals, one month it might be $400 a tonne. And then the next time you go to buy it, it's $600 yeah. a tonne. And one uh, grazier told me that he rang up on a Friday afternoon and said, what's the cost of this load? Yep, yep it'll be 450 And by the time they got there to pick it up the Monday, it was 650 wow. And he said to the guy, that's not fair. He said, yeah, that's business. That's how it is. So it makes me feel bad when I whinge about petrol prices going up and down. Well, that's right. As you say, it um, gives you a perspective yeah. on other people's life yeah. and yeah. the scale of the problems yeah. and the impact. So some um, people would destock. Some mm. destocked completely. Mm. Um, one farmer who was a, a um, sheep farmer, he got rid of his sheep, but he started cutting firewood. So through the winter, he yeah. worked really hard yeah, and he yeah. cut firewood. There was plenty of old, yeah. old dried uh dead things that could yeah. be translated into um, money and he was putting food on the table that mm. way and we were able to get him give him some work and deliver firewood to households where we knew the families were struggling mm. so two families were helped yeah, yeah. and that was fantastic yeah, yeah. we have a great network of people who are connected to the community yep. have been there a yep. long time yep. and they put their heads to these sort of things and they yeah, were some yeah. of the solutions they came yeah. up with so the the fruit growers, the mostly they're really big fruit growers these yep. days. Yep. There used to be family orchards, mm. and they would support a family and maybe two families, mm. and all the kids would be the free staff. Yep. So that's before right. school, they'd um, go <laughs> In the and family business. Yes, yeah. that's right. And they'd pack fruit, and they'd have a good holiday across winter. But then come springtime, yep. they'd be pruning and yeah, yeah. all the. So they did the work. Now they're big holdings yeah. and they a couple of them had been trucking in water for a long time all of last year mm. thousands of dollars a week mm. just to keep the trees alive mm. and that's been successful largely yep. that they've been able to get fruit mm. yeah. so they won't be breaking even but they won't have to replant yeah. all those trees yep. Yep. some others didn't have that capacity and there were blocks of orchards that just died yeah. now some of them are saying they're going to use this opportunity to plant new varieties that yeah, are more okay. drought tro yeah. tolerant yeah. so don't waste a good crisis no but those though there's a long lead time yeah like if you have to replant uh, that, that's right fruit trees that that's years of lead time before they start producing that's, that's right so you don't just miss one season 
Yes. You know, it's, it's long-term consequences. Yes. Yeah. And some have um, very carefully put up hail netting. Um, one of the and some of them are mixed farms, so they have an orchard plus they have run a few sheep or yeah. a few cattle. And so some of them use one part of the, the diversity allows them to make some yeah. different choices. Yeah. One of them said to me, well, we can't put our block of trees on a truck and send it to somewhere no. where the grass is growing. That's right. So they are anchored to yeah. the, and so they've diversified to try and yeah, attend yeah. to that. But they were losing money because then there was a terrific hailstorm mm. which came through just as that very early fruit was about yeah, to okay. be harvested. Yeah. So there's the flow-on effect, the packing house, yeah. the, the uh, local harvest workers, the yeah. people who are here as harvest workers mm. from elsewhere, mm. uh, and then, of course, the transport mm. companies. And it's a real mm. cascading yeah, of yeah. impact. It's flowed on through. Yes. And the, so they, they were the things that happened. But then around about February in 2019 february and march there were fires in the southern half of our area so okay. wallangarra yep. uh, tetterfield just over yep. the border from yep. us because wallangarra is that town right on the border right isn't on it? the border yeah. that's right and uh, tetterfield's about uh, 20 k south of there so yep. you're sort of talking about um 45 minutes from stanthorpe south and then 45 minutes north you yep. come into warwick mm. and uh, those fires hit the national park which wasn't great because a lot of people go to the national park at easter time absolutely and they had to close some of the camping areas and that sort of thing Uh, so there was a little local impact in terms of the tourism Mm. and that affects the cafes it affects the people who sell petrol it affects a number of things and then there were there was another fire a very significant fire through part of the stanthorpe just Mm. close to the town in September. Yeah, so that was some of that really early fire season stuff, wasn't it, that that we saw around southern Queensland in particular? That's right, and because it had been so dry for Mm. a long time, Mm. everything was just ready to to be combusted. So um, the locals did an amazing job. The rural fire brigade, obviously, the the actual fire brigade, Mm. uh, there were... um, There were fire bombers Mm. uh, but a lot of the ordinary citizens were doing things like they were just getting into their little bit of earth moving equipment and pushing down a few trees making sure it didn't come right into the town because it was um, that particular Friday night it was very much at risk that it could have gone right up through the town I remember that Friday night and Mm. it was yeah it sounded like it was a pretty frightening time well it was a frightening time for people who were there i was actually on long service leave but we'd done the wise thing and got a a a supply minister to come and he was just fantastic the way he uh, nicely done Kay. well (laughs) get out of town no (laughs) no no (laughs) well it and we were very torn because we were in brisbane and um uh getting information by text and yeah. seeing things on Facebook yeah. and thinking, do we just go back? And yeah. our great um, supply minister, Reverend Bob Britton, who'd come up from South Australia, said, no, you stay there. Mm. There'll be plenty to do yeah. when you get yeah, back. Absolutely. And that, that was That's true. true. Yeah. So That's true. There's some wisdom in that, isn't there? There, were, there is. Yeah. And I think it tells us something about peer support too, yeah. Yeah. that some people who are in a long time, long-term crisis 
get a little weary yeah. and it doesn't hurt to draw aside there will still be plenty of need to respond yes. to when yeah. you come back from your leave period whether that's two weeks or whether you go down to um, friends or family you go somewhere where you can have a long Mm. shower Mm. like the sunshine coast or the gold coast where there's plenty of water (laughs) and just take a few days away from the the crisis area the the moment Mm. Um, you've talked a bit there about the community and the impact of some of these experiences on the community how about for the church for the you know the congregations what's it What's it been like to be church kind of through some of that? Uh, because I guess as well as being church and thinking about what you can do for the community, you're also residents who are living through these things yourselves, aren't you? So, you know, there are people in the congregation who are, you know, facing some of the same challenges as, um, as that in the community. That's mm. for sure. Yeah. And uh, some people had decided to sell up before their property became completely brown and barren so there were people making those big decisions about where do we go from here Um, we don't want to be uh, Mm. trying to sell when everything's Mm. not at its best Mm. Um, so there were people making those kind of decisions there were people who are involved with the business that supports these kind of rural communities so irrigation supplies um, stock and station agents Fuel, um, yeah. motor repairs, yeah. all of those so kinds of things. So their business and livelihood are tied to the, the kinds of challenges that, that we right. talked about. Yeah. So one of the things that happened was usually in the last month of the financial year, people look at what they've got in the bank and they yeah. say, well, we'll go and buy some new equipment. Yeah. Um, might be a vehicle, it might be um, yeah. a roll of hose. Yeah. And they just didn't spend that money yeah. last year. So people's income locally mm. were considerably impacted Mm. and they're carrying a lot of debt Mm. so people who really needed to get some of the items Mm. either for facilities or uh, stock and fodder supplies they um, the companies have carried debt across a long period of time so because the congregation are very involved in the community they understood what was happening and were able to come up with some plans that made a difference like um, taking some money to the local stock and station agent and saying you know the people who've got genuine needs they're coming in and saying I'll buy one bale of hay can you Mm. give them two for one and we'll um, pay for the difference we were very blessed because congregations from all over Queensland sent us money and said you be the people who decide where this is going to be the most benefit and so we were able to do that many times over and that's an enormous privilege so i was going to ask you about that sense of you know what it means to be a part of the bigger wider uniting church in a in a context or a situation like that and you've talked about you know some disaster relief money you've talked about you know some of that um supply ministers or you know the generosity of other congregations it feels to me like that's made a difference being a part of that broader community is that am i overreaching there or no absolutely like? that is exactly the case yeah. and some people made visits so st andrew's city in yep. brisbane um in brisbane city 
a number of them came. They brought some home-cooked things nice. that we could share. And it's usually so, it's the other way around, isn't it? The, the <laughs> country come. folk are so good that generosity, that hospitality is expressed. Well, it, uh, it was delightful because yeah. it was a tangible way of saying we want to help. Yeah. They came and they had lunch at the cafe. They yeah. spent some time listening to my stories. Yeah. And uh, we were able to then go the next week and take a fruitcake and uh, some cash yeah. and say to people, you know, try and spend this money locally. Yeah. You know, I'd say to them, if you need to paint your toes toenails red go and do that yeah. but you know try and go to a local yeah. person yeah. Uh, yeah. and whether it's in the community whether it's a tank of fuel or whether it, mm. you're just going to take the family out to the pub for a lunch mm. or for a dinner yeah. do that mm. um someone down at ballandine apparently did that they put some money out at the uh, the local ballandine pub yeah. which is normally on a friday night got a lot of people in it yeah, yeah. and they covered the meals for an Wow. all of the local families yeah, for yeah. a night Fantastic. and that was a lovely yeah, thing that's a gift yes so yeah. yes the the sense of being uh, supported from afar and um yes water was an early problem mm. and so there were people actually delivering water mm. but then some of the service clubs like the rotary club and mm. those kind of people um brought in water yeah. and muslim aid brought in um, water as well. So lots of places got on board with that particular need. And I think I heard you saying before that enabled you as a a group of congregations to shift your focus then to other, you know, as as the water, um, as responding to those water challenges became more widespread, you were able to kind of shift focus a little bit. Yes. And going to... uh, Households and spending a bit of time having a cup of tea, mm. and sometimes that was as valuable as whatever yeah, we yeah. whatever we left behind in terms of money yeah, or, yeah. or or um, having a, a cup of tea and a cake yeah, yeah. was actually yeah. really valuable. Yeah. People felt cared for, and it's incarnational. It's yeah. what Jesus did. He went yeah. to where the needs were, spent some time with the people. Um, and just tried, and I'd pray with people. I'd offer yeah. to pray with them. Yep. Nobody ever refused. Okay. And I, I hear that a lot. Yes. A, a lot of us are afraid to say, but almost everyone that talks about having offered to pray, it's very rare for someone to say no. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it reminded me of just how powerful it can be, that incarnational presence. Mm. And sometimes I took people with me. So there was an elderly farmer uh, who is about 84 and she's been living on that property for some years, maybe 10 years since mm-hmm. her husband died. Okay. And uh, she has a few cattle, but she does most of the tasks with a bit of help from some great neighbours. Mm-hmm. And her family are over on the coast, so they come over when they can. But I took uh, my elderly mother and another lady of um, in her 70s, and we sat around her table and had a cup of tea and talked yeah. about life on the farm and family and yeah. and uh, what the challenges are of everyday yeah, yeah. life. And at the time, her sister was in another part of um, in, down New South Wales way somewhere and very frail and likely yeah. to die in the next few days, which ultimately happened. So we were able to pray with her too about yeah, that. Yeah. So it was, and and I think this is something that we sometimes forget that in the midst of all of these disaster settings whether it's a short-term sudden impact Mm. like a a flood or a cyclone or whether you have the devastation of a fire or the long drawn-out corrosive effect of a drought Mm. 
people are still experiencing grief and loss. Yeah, yeah. They're still experiencing children graduating from high school and wondering if they can afford to get a great dress, which they've, they've yep. had their hearts set yep. on. Yep. Life goes Life on. goes on. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. And so being able to maintain congregation life yeah. is also about celebrating those milestones. Yeah. I did two weddings on country properties, actually three weddings last year on country properties, and um, one of them was the same property because it, the siblings got married. Oh, cool. And uh, we, they chose different parts of the property on which yeah. to get married. <laughs> different photos. Yes. Different backdrops. Um, but it was a real benefit for mm. that little community mm. to, and for that wider family. They mm. all came yeah. and uh, saw how hard it was yeah. on the land at that time. Yeah. But they had something to celebrate. Yeah. And they did the celebration. Yeah. You know, they had yeah. a nice meal up in yeah. the wool shed and they gathered and brought people on buses from town and all sorts of yeah, things. Yeah. So that, yeah. I think, is something to keep in mind. Um, we talk, you talked there about life going on and, and caring for people and you mentioned grief and loss and I want to talk about that a little bit because I understand that um, that as a church you've been doing some work, in, particularly in this area of grief and loss, I think in partnership with Blue Care or Uniting Care Queensland. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is that you're doing, how it began, what's involved? Uh, it's, I'm really interested in this. I tell my colleagues that this is the best thing I do. Okay. So That's quite a statement. It is. Yeah. But I mean it really genuinely. It, it, some years ago, about 20-something years ago, a chaplain from the Gold Coast area, mm-hmm. Blue Care chaplain, Nanette Rickett, yeah. has made the observation that we can give a lot of care and support to people while people are dying, going through palliative care or mm-hmm. in their senior years. Um, or when they were recovering from an operation or an accident. But there wasn't an intentional program for the, to address the bereavement. Yeah. And she developed a program over a number of years. And some bereavement support programs are like a, let's come and have a cup of tea yeah. and it's come when you can mm. and you might go every month mm. or you might go for three months and then just drop out. Yeah. This is actually designed as a course that the bereaved person okay. goes through okay. and it takes eight weeks. Okay. So it's a small group, up mm. to eight people with mm-hmm. two facilitators and they get to know each other. They share their story safely mm. in a circumstance where they're supported. Yeah. Um, they build new friendships. Mm. And, you know, we often assume that bereavement people will kind of get over it in time. And people use those statements, mm. time heals yeah, things. Yeah. Time heals what, all wounds, yeah. Well, it's what you do with yeah. the time that makes the yeah. difference. Okay. And because of that re- really fantastic work that was done in the early phases, the program now has a script. Yeah. You add the stories that yeah. come out of your own experience. You invite the people in the room to share yeah. their stories. It has an educational component. It has a social component. Yeah. And... Uh, those people can attend to their bereavement. Mm. It's not for people who are divorced or okay. separated. Yeah. It's bereavement. It's the yeah. loss of a loved one. Yeah. Sometimes that's a partner. Mm. Sometimes it's a same gender partner. Mm. Sometimes it's a parent yeah. or a child yeah. or a very good friend. Yeah. Now, we've run uh, about 10 groups in Stanthorpe over the last four years and 
um, some groups don't have the full number. They don't have eight. They might have five. Mm. But it's enough. Mm. And you need a little dynamic of um, different people in the room. And the benefit I see is that people arrive and the first day there's a lot of tears Mm. and uh, we have the tissues available and they share a little bit of their story and it's a very emotional story. I can imagine. But over time, we help them attend to various parts of their grief and they do some work. We call it a helpful exercise. It's really homework, but it's a way of, (laughs) of... Supporting 3,000 word assignment by next Tuesday night, please. <laughs> and some people do find they write a lot. Other yeah. people, it's about just taking time to reflect on yeah. a particular topic. Um, and the education component means that they actually begin to understand what they're going through. Mm. So they're not going mad. Their cognitive processes mm. are impaired because mm. of the what's going on in the brain yeah. when they're yeah. grieving. Yeah. And... It's a great revelation and yeah. reassurance for some yeah. people to realise that they're not going to be feeling like this and yeah. finding their thinking's confused and muddled and they can't make big decisions. That's not going to be a forever thing. Mm. So, also, I imagine just something that comes from knowing that it's not just me that's that this is an experience for. Like this is actually yes. really normal. Yes. This is how we function as humans and. People often feel Those quite people. like that. I'm yeah. the only one or yeah. everyone else seems to be coping. Yeah. You know, I yeah. see so-and-so who's out and about and yeah. they've had a bereavement too. Yeah. Um, but here am I stuck at yeah, home. I'm lost. Um, yeah. Can't manage my finances. The family yeah. are saying, do you want to sell the place? Yeah, do you yeah. want to move in with us? Yeah. Um, and there's other things that we find helpful where people have a light bulb moment. Mm. So I say to them, you all know the saying where there's a will, and they chime in, there's a way. And I say, no, in bereavement, it can be where there's a will, there's a relative. <laughs> and they all nod. And, and uh, that's a, a kind of a, a connecting thing as well. That yeah. for some families, some really messy stuff yeah, happens. Yeah. Yeah. And relationships can be fractured yeah. and everything's recalibrated. Mm. So uh, I, it's see, we see a process of wholeness happening Mm. so from the the shattered and the broken Mm. to putting some things back together and moving to a place of wholeness Mm. and that too is Mm. part of what jesus does Mm. it's not actually a religious program when we say that up front we don't pray with them but we use the the skills and tools of um, the christian family and the support of blue care so we meet in the blue care space after the respite clients have gone home and um, we have the program at different times of the day sometimes three to five Mm. sometimes after hours because Mm. people have gone back to work or they need to leave a partner with the children while they come out and attend to their bereavement so and it's a great um partnership that we have with blue care to do this they refer people to us other churches refer people to us and it's not often that the funeral director comes and says to you thanks very much for doing what you do (laughs) but that's what our funeral director in the local area has said because they don't have the chance Hmm. to follow up and in a country area Hmm. there's some great counsellors in our district there's some psychologists. Mm-hmm. There are some formal processes. There's a social worker yep. at the hospital. Yep. But this is just something that value adds yeah. 
And yeah. I mean, even sounds like maybe the peer nature of it is probably an important part of the process as well. That it it's is. not just me sitting with a counsellor, it's me sitting around a table with a bunch of other people who are sharing something of my experience. That's right. They can understand me and I can understand them to some degree. So the group process yeah. is part of the healing. Yeah. And as you said, they're, they're not sort of thinking, I'm the only one. Yeah. And while their yeah. stories are different and unique, and that's part of what we emphasise, mm. there is some common ground. Mm. And out of that common ground, um, you, you build some friendships. Mm. Mm. And sometimes, because Stanthorpe's about 5,000 people, okay. and, but maybe another 5,000 live in the district, yeah. um, there are perhaps another 3,000 people come in as harvest workers yeah. of various kinds each year. But these people have been living in the district, not all of them, some of them are new to the district, but every now and then one of them mm. will come in on the first day and say, oh, hello, I think you went to school with my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and they may not know each other very yeah. well, but they perhaps There's know of the families. Or, yes. Yeah. But by the end of it, they're great yeah. friends. Yeah. Mm. And what, what is it that, I mean, you talked about this being, I don't know if you said the most valuable thing you do or the thing you do that you love the most or but what is it for you that I mean is it seeing people kind of making steps through that process of grief is it seeing them form relationships is it seeing them you know find something of themselves is I don't, I don't, what is it that you you know it, well Scott I think it's a bit of all of those things yeah. uh, but in congregational ministry over many years mm. you can see that um, bereavement is one mm. of the things that is really tough yeah and not everyone frames up their experience in the same way where you know they may not have a sense of hope in a, um, a, a life everlasting, but the impact, you know, is yeah. there's some similar things that happen to people. So I've always had a desire to help people move through that in a healthy way and not get stuck because yep. some people do yep. get stuck. Yep. They um, turn in on themselves. They maybe get quite depressed um, so I think seeing people come to a point of wholeness mm. um, is important and I've always seen that as something that God does in Jesus mm. with us, helps us with our brokenness, helps to mend, not necessarily fix because you can't bring the person back to yeah. life but you can yeah. mend the person who's left behind yeah. and enable them to have a forward momentum. Yeah. Uh, William Bridges has written a lot about transitions on life and he says most of us think that the life has a beginning, a middle and an end. And in doing that, we have that very, you know, like childhood and yeah, then yeah. there's middle life yeah. and then yeah. there's um, senior years, mm. beginning, middle and end. Mm. But he some years ago recognised that transitions in life often have an ending and a chaotic middle bit and then there's a new beginning. Yeah. And so to help frame bereavement in that way yeah. also helps. Yeah. Uh, I think gives there are a number of frameworks that help people with their thinking about what's happened. Yeah. A number of other things about it um, for me personally, I think it brings together a lot of my history mm. and experience. Okay. Congregational ministry, yeah. we always did a lot of funerals, perhaps not so much in cities now because yeah. there are chaplains. Yeah. Um, sometimes the funeral yeah. directors provide yeah. someone to do that. Mm. 
it's actually this group is also quite ecumenical mm. so at the moment we've got three catholics in our group and i went to see the uh, catholic church and say look i just want to let you know we've got three of your yeah, people yeah. in going yeah. through our group at the moment and they said that is fantastic yeah. because we don't have anything that yeah. offers this like that. so there is an ecumenical element yeah. there's a community building element there's the partnership with blue care there's the um, integration yeah. with the congregation. Some of these people have come to worship with us. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure why. Yeah. Some already were part of our congregation, so they mm. are, are part of the network of those who've come through mm. this group. Mm. But others have come mm. because they've found yeah. a, a safe place, somebody they've gotten to know. They've yeah. gotten to know me There's through the group there. and yeah. the other facilitator. And the, one of our other facilitators is not from the Uniting Church but makes a terrific contribution. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think it hits a lot of the, fantastic. the right spots for me. Yeah. Mm. Um, we're kind of getting towards time. The, the question I guess I want to end with is, as, as we've talked and we've talked about bushfires and we've talked about drought and, you know, we've talked about grief and loss it seems to me there's almost an endless list of ways that we can get involved in our local community could be domestic violence could be climate justice could be poverty um, all of those sorts of things and quite often in our conversation you've said something like oh you know we just thought we'd kind of go down to the you know local stock supply shop and do this or oh, we just thought we'd buy some water for someone here how do you figure out you know what's what's needed in your community what i mean has it been a you know what's the process for you guys but what are the questions that we might you know in other places help us work out where do we focus our attention if we are to contribute to our community and the list is long how do we pick what's what really matters because um, i don't think it is just oh well you know oh, we just went down the shop and you know gave them some money. i think there's maybe some more to it that's enabled you guys to to kind of hone in on what are the big issues for Stanthorpe and for the Granite Belt. Can you talk a little bit about that? I can, and I think part of it is the, in theory and part of its practice. Yeah. So uh, you've done a lot of study on mission mm. and how we do mission in mm. communities and how yeah. we become a missional church. And one of the pieces of theory is that God's mission is already mm. active yeah. and we just have to find where the Holy Spirit mm. is busy and yeah. jump on board. But we can add to that some um, skills, so skill development and uh, effective listening is one of those skills. Yeah, okay. So our partners in the Uniting Church, Uniting, Church, Uniting Care, mm. they run um, disaster recovery uh, equipping courses okay. and one of those was held here in Warwick last year yeah. so um, there improve your skills yeah. so that you're well placed to yeah. be able to respond and that was largely a listening skill yeah. process but also understanding what happens for people in crisis yeah. and in disaster settings and our, for ministry agents we also have training around those issues for how to minister in disaster mm -hmm. situations mm -hmm. So I think you recognise that God's already at work. Mm. You develop your skills, mm. and some of this training is great for elders. Yeah. They're already usually naturally inclined, but some of us are good at bringing out the trite sayings, yes. and you know, like we said, with bereavement, yeah. well, yeah, time yeah. heals all yeah. wounds. 
well, actually, it's what you do with the time. Mm. And learning to sit back and let the person tell their story rather than yeah. jumping in with a solution or with a, um, a trite saying, which mm. might actually shut down their opportunity mm. to attend to what's going on for them. Yeah. So skill development. And, and then listening to the community. Yeah. And that you be, I begin with the congregation because that's our first community yeah. as the people of God. And they're connected yeah. to um, the wider world. I'm not terribly comfortable with the, you know, the churched and the unchurched sort of way mm. of, of defining things. Mm. I think um, God's at work. Mm. Some people are part of our alumni. They've had yeah, a connection okay. with yeah. this church. Yeah. And they've, like they've kind of moved yeah. into other fields, yeah. maybe even invested their life in mm. something else, a service club or yeah. their their career or something. But they've often they're part of our alumni and they're yeah. quite happy to work with us yeah. um, if we get something started. So our congregation is the first yeah. community, the people of God. Who do they know? What skills yeah. have they got? What skills can we develop? Uh, and and seeing what we're passionate about. Mm. Because you can't sustain the energy of something if you're not really interested. And you could run play groups, Mm. but if you're not really interested in children, that's That's probably going to fizzle out. (laughs) And as you say, you get more exhausted if you're Mm. doing something that you're not Mm. uh, passionate Mm. about. Um, So finding some things that maybe your local group Mm. have if it's yeah. we do seniors work we we have uh, a lot of stuff that we do with seniors and yeah. that's why it's great to partner with some groups like blue care yeah. because they've yeah. got they bring some expertise specialized yeah. yeah specialized capacity to yeah. respond mm. and they can na- mm. navigate mm. some of the government stuff as well which is mm. helpful um so i think you need to have a look around mm. what are the needs we can't meet all the needs mm. There might be another church which is doing some great work yes. with um, people who've been divorced and separated. Yeah. There might be another church which is doing great work uh, with, um, say, farmers. Mm. And um, so we don't have to do it all ourselves. That's yeah. We that's what I'm trying to say. Community. Yeah. Mm, that's what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. So if we let other people do their stuff and not mm. try to see it as a competition. Mm. But we'll attend to mm. the patch that we yeah. see that we're in, that yeah. we're planted in, try and yeah. bloom where we are planted, um, get some great advice from the wider church in yeah. terms of let's do this as safely as we mm. can. Mm. We get blue cards. Yeah. We yeah. try and make our facilities as safe and clean yeah. and helpful. Good hospitality, uh, if nothing else. That's yeah. right, yes. Yeah. Uh, so from that point of view, I think we you need to tune into what the mission is that's emerging around yeah. you. I just can't think of his name, but one of the, the, the guy who wrote the book about missional leadership mm. talked about small, strong churches. Mm. And he says that often uh, a new mission will emerge from an incident or an episode mm. yeah, or okay. something that happens. Yeah. Like, so maybe a little child is uh, um, has a little accident in the car park mm. near the school because they saw mum across the road and started to cross the road and, and yeah. uh, it doesn't have to be a tragedy but no. it can be a little wake it's, up call yeah. and then people say well we can do something we yeah. can perhaps um, 
put a fence, mm. put up, mm. um, yeah. you know, make the catalyst. car park, yeah. yeah, or offer a bit of hospitality to yeah. the parents while they're waiting for their kids, mm. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or um, in some places, they help kids with homework while they're waiting for parents. Mm. A little yeah. incident, a little episode, a little event mm. might trigger some thinking mm. around, is mm. there a mission here? And often the people who are helped with the mission become the helpers. Yeah. That's the other principle, I think. Yeah. Um, nothing is ever wasted in God's economy. Yeah. So uh, let's look around and yeah. often you can do a lot of stuff without a whole lot of money, but you just need some um, prayerful, careful people yeah. and God can use them to enrich a community. That sounds like a lovely moment to end our conversation. Thank you so much, Kay, for... Because I should say we've met half... Well, not quite halfway, but you've travelled in to meet with me today and I really appreciate uh, the chance to sit and have a chat and hear a little bit more of the Stanthorpe and Granite Belt story. Well, I hope our stories energise somebody else as it has energised us. Sure. Thank you. Great privilege. Thanks, Cheers. Scott.